Today I'm going back to the book of Hebrews and uh, we're going back to better. Uh, We took a few weeks off to go beyond and uh, talk about uh, that amazing promise in Ephesians 3 uh, that God would do exceeding abundant above and beyond. And today we're going to go back to Hebrews for for just a a little bit. And I want to finish up um, the idea that is in Hebrews 6 about the, the elementary or foundational principles uh, and how the impact that they have on our life. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, uh, of faith toward God, of instruction about washings or the doctrine of baptisms. And aren't you thrilled for these guys today that uh, baptized and going forward? It's a spiritual experience for sure. And I encourage everybody to step into it. And the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. And I just want to remind us as we dive into this that um, you, this idea of pressing on to maturity. Uh, there's just something about the way that we are wired and the way that life works is you cannot drift into greatness. You cannot drift into maturity. You cannot drift into destiny. There is a, there's, there's a piece of the equation that if you're going to be great at anything, you're going to be a great husband, you're going to be uh, a great worker, you're going to be a great believer, you're going to be great at anything, there's got to have that sense of, I'm going to keep on pressing on. I'm not going to coast my way through this. And, uh, and these, these ideas... I think are so uh, amazing and powerful, and we spent a lot of time on each one of them, but I hope we all understand that this is not just some kind of theology or some kind of knowledge just to get in our heads, but these, these, are, these, are, these are shaping the way we think, which then shapes the way we believe and the way we interact with life. And so it's, it's patterns of thought. And I find that no matter what uh, I'm, I'm into, if I would just keep the foundational aspects of it really clear and clean and keep going back to it, because like, I know if you're going to prosper financially, here's how I know a foundational concept. You can't spend more money than you make. Now, that, that, it doesn't matter if you make you know, $20,000 a year or $200,000 a year. If you spend more than you make, it's a foundational principle, but you got to keep applying it to your life over and over and over again. So we've been talking about these ideas. And uh, so we talked about repentance from dead works uh, and uh, recognizing that we change the currency of how we live life. Uh, We talked about faith toward God, having an operating system that leans on and trusts in God. We talked about the doctrine of baptism, which basically is going all in wins. And that's, that's how you win in no matter what you're doing. We talked about the laying on of hands, uh, which is the power of a, of a touch. And then we talked about the resurrection of the dead, which, which we got to keep reminding ourselves that life, the life of God, always ultimately wins. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, uh, God has a victory in store for you. 
Today, I want to talk about eternal judgment. And uh, yeah, come on, somebody. And uh, (laughs) I want to talk about keeping eternity in mind, keeping eternity in mind. And it's interesting to me that of these six foundational concepts, uh, two out of the six, one-third of them point to the fact that we've got to remember that life is an eternal thing. Um, I'm a big, big, big believer that God wants to bless our life on this planet. He wants to prosper us. He wants to flourish us. He wants to cause what we set our hand to to prosper. That's what the Bible teaches. But we've got to remember that no matter how many years we live on this planet, we always have to keep in mind that there is an eternity that follows behind the years that we're on this planet. And there's, there's literally nothing that I ever want to do that puts my eternity in some kind of peril. And otherwise, I don't care how stupid anybody else is, I'm not going to let their stupid get on me and mess up my eternity. Come on, right? It don't, it don't matter. Like, you, you, could, you could treat me wrong in church. It doesn't matter. I'm not losing eternity over your stupidity. I'm not losing eternity. There is no girl that's worth losing eternity over. There's no boy. There's no job. There's no money. There's no nothing that is worth losing eternity over. And we got we to keep that. That's foundational. That's, that's at the foundation. So when life ends on this planet, that's not the end of the story. Every person that is in this room is going to live for an eternity. Every person that is walking the streets of Asheville, uh, Western North Carolina, North Carolina, United States, 7 billion people around this world are going to live for eternity. And when our life on this planet is over, everyone is going to face a judgment, an assessment of the life that we've lived. And the, the results of that assessment are going to determine how we spend eternity. How, how we have spent our life on this planet, just imagine you're going to live 80 years. Somebody, There's people in this room that are older than 80, way older than I am. <laughs> but I think sometimes we got to stop and remember that I'm going to live 80 years, 90 years, 100, I don't know, however long God gives us life on this planet. But that is going to determine how I spend eternity. It's a big idea. I think getting it right is pretty darn important. And and to get this concept down, now I'm going to read a lot of scripture today uh, because I want to let the Bible speak to us about this idea. But to get this idea clear and get it in place for us, I think is absolutely essential. So, so the Bible actually talks about two eternal judgments. 
Uh, there is one judgment that is called the white throne judgment. Uh, and then there is another judgment that is called the Bema seat judgment. And uh, let me, I could read literally dozens of passages. Uh, if you were to look this up yourself, you would see that it's throughout the Bible. But I want to read this passage, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Now, so the white throne judgment is the judgment that assesses whether somebody's going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. So, Revelation 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And what has to be one of the most profound, heaviest, unbelievable concepts to consider, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know what that does to you, but scares the hell out of me. People are going to spend eternity somewhere. I'm going to spend eternity somewhere. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And it's either going to be in a heavenly paradise with God or it's going to be an eternity in a lake of fire. And if, if that's true, which I believe it is, then I can't imagine anything that would be more important than making sure that I'm right with God. I mean, this is a big deal. I'm 17 years old. I've kind of had an encounter with Jesus, and I'm running from God. Uh, and I'm under conviction like crazy. So to drown out my conviction, I'm partying harder than I ever have. Uh, um, I, I, I literally, not a day of my life has gone by as a 17-year-old that I'm not getting high somehow. Smoking pot, taking qualudes, downers. Uh, taking LSD, acid, just, you know, I mean, I'm just living, uh, trying to drown this out, and I'm with my friend, and we're in a car, we're driving in New Orleans, I'm, I'm on LSD, I'm on acid, 
I'm tripping. We're in a car, and I don't know how fast he was driving. I don't know how slow he was driving because I was just in this drugged out state, and somebody ran into the back of us on the interstate. And my, the car spins literally through th- three lanes of traffic in New Orleans, which I promise you, New Orleans is the craziest drivers you've ever been around. Uh, and uh, we go sliding across three lanes of traffic in between cars. The car is spinning, and we hit a guardrail and bounce out on, back onto the interstate again. And it's like this second, this moment, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've been under conviction for a year running from God, and, and my thought was, I, sh- I could have just died. I should have just died. And I don't know where I would spend eternity in that moment. It, it was a heavy-duty moment for me. I'm sitting in the airport the other day traveling, and I'm thinking about this stuff, and Honestly, I'm seeing all these literally dozens, hundreds of people in the airport, and I'm, uh, I almost, like I almost wanted to stand up and go, you are going to spend eternity somewhere. I mean, like in the airport. And I know that's not the way to win people to Christ, <laughs> but I mean, my heart it was, so, was so burdened to think about that these guys are going to be thrown into a lake of fire. And, you know, I don't get to make the rules (laughs) how this whole eternal thing works, nor do you. So I think, I think the first thing that we have to do is recognize, I want to make sure I'm right with God. And the second thing is, if we've had the, the incredible opportunity to pass from death into life, hello, we got the message now. We, get, we have to carry this sense of responsibility and burden and concern. In other words, we, we don't just go to church meetings, we've got something to do on this planet. Now, let me just say uh, the good news uh, of all this is, you know, once we've all passed from judgment into life when we embrace Jesus as our Lord, when we surrender to his love, when we embrace his sacrifice for our life. And John 5, verse 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. Breathe a sigh of relief, but has passed out of death and the life. So the very minute that you embrace Jesus, you embrace the gospel, the good news, then we passed at that moment from death into eternal life. And it's not based on how good we are. It's not based on our works. It's not based on our behavior. It's not based on our goodness. It's based on we're embracing Jesus' sacrifice for us. Come on, can somebody be grateful? 
So the, the minute, it, it's not about you getting your act together. It's about you embracing Jesus' sacrifice to have paid for your sin, for my sin. But then the Bible goes on and says that all believers are going to stand before God in a judgment. And we are going to be judged, not whether we're going to heaven or hell, but we're going to be judged on how did we spend our life? How did we use the gifts that God gave us? How, how did we... How did our whole life, our motives, our work are going to be assessed as believers? And it's not a judgment that determines whether I'm going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell, but it is an assessment of how I've lived after I've accepted Jesus as my Lord. This is this, so the white throne judgment is heaven or hell, lake of fire or paradise. The second judgment is, is once we've passed from death into life, passed out of that judgment, we enter into something called the Bema seat judgment. And 2 Corinthians, and again, there's just tons of passages, but I'm just going to read you a couple. Verse 10, 2 Corinthians 5 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says, So you, why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God, the Bema seat. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So let me just say, one thing this passage does tell us is, I'm not your judge and you're not my judge. <laughs> Come on, right? Uh, I, I just know this, I have enough trouble trying to keep myself on track to be judging whether you're on the track you're supposed to be on. Right? And that's what this passage is, is actually talking about it in Romans 14. And you don't ever know what, you don't even know where someone's coming from. You're not, you don't even know what they're having to overcome to even be where they are right now. So our job is walk in lots of mercy, walk in lots of grace, walk in lots of forgiveness, because ultimately God is the judge, and we are not. So once we can get ourselves off the judgment seat, life becomes a little bit better, especially for everybody around you. So you know what I'm talking about. But I think this is an important thing to understand that once a person has passed from death to life, there is going to be a day where every believer is going to stand before God and we're going to be assessed about what did we do with our life. 
First Corinthians uh, chapter three, verse 11 says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So our relationship with Jesus is what gives us eternal life. Now, if any man builds on that foundation of a relationship with Jesus, if he builds on that with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm, I'm your friend. I love you. But I want to make sure that I'm being clear because I don't want anybody to stand before God and say, well, nobody ever told me this one. So let me just say, it's possible to be saved, but to have wasted our time, our talents, and our treasure for these short little years. Uh, like I said, I don't make the rules on this, but it's pretty compelling to me that my years on this planet are going to determine all of my years in eternity. That's, that's like, wow. It's not my intention to, you know, shake us all over the lake of fire, but I just want us to know there is one. And I also want us to know that as a believer, there is an accountability for us before the Lord. Now, Jesus gave us this great story that I think gives us some insight, helps us understand our accountability before God. I love preaching this on my birthday weekend. This is awesome. This is just awesome. <laughs> Matthew 25, uh, and uh, I debated whether to read the whole thing, but I want to because these are Jesus' words, and I think they're very clear. Verse 14, it is just like a man about to go on a journey. These are all in red, Jesus talking, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts. The one who had received the five talents came up, brought five more talents, saying, Master, look, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Now 
enter into the joy, everybody say the joy, the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more. And his master did not say to him, well, look, the other guy just showed up with five. He just said, you were faithful with what I gave you. So you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. And this is interesting to me. He's accusing the master of saying, of reaping where he didn't sow, but then he says, here's the talent you gave me. This is a guy that's got a wrong perception of God. Reaping where you didn't sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. So I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow. You gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Throw out, these are Jesus' words, the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Strong words from the Bible. Let me just give us a couple of takeaways on this. One is we got to remember people's eternity is at stake. And our work as a church is in many ways the most important work imaginable. I mean, I think it's a good thing that we help the poor and help people get, be fed and have clean water and all the things that could help them. But I just think we have to keep remembering that the work we've been given to do is the most important work that can be done. So honestly, I go with this in mind, there's, there's, no, there's no amount of prayer that's too much. And and. There's no amount of effort. There's no amount of serving. There's no amount of work. There's no amount of giving that could be too much because people are going to spend eternity somewhere. Second takeaway, I think, is for us just to be clear. God is going to assess the employment of our life and our gifts. He doesn't, he doesn't have level five expectation on level two entrustment. Just recently, one of the great heroes of the earth, Billy Graham, passed away. God entrusted him level five. He was faithful to it. 
God's not going to hold me responsible for his level. But here's what I would love to say and ask all of us to lean into. Whether a year of five or a two or a one, whatever you think you have or don't have, God does have an expectation that we would all give our full out effort with whatever he's given us. And I think it's super clear that the one who buried the talent that was not met well with God. And then the third idea, takeaway, is, is simply this. I've just got to encourage you, whatever your path is on, in life, you got to live with eternity in mind. There's one side of this where I go, my gosh, I can impact my eternity with 80 plus years in a positive. But to think that I would have wasted my years and the impact it's going to have. After the, after the first 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years, I'm going to look back on my years on the planet and either be grateful that I just leaned in the best I could. What I'm trying to give you today is not, I'm not trying to put something on you, but I'm trying to tell you, this is the way I think. <laughs> this is the way I live. This is the way I, I want to think about life, and it's the way I think is an incredible way to live. So I think the first question to answer is, where are you going to spend eternity? I remember going to the church, not knowing anything about church, not knowing anything about Christianity, and the pastor having everybody stand up and at a point at the end of the service and said, if you're sure you're going to go to heaven when you die, sit down. All these people started sitting down, and I'm, I'm like standing there going, who the heck do they think they are? Like they know? And I'm glad that I was put in a position to think about it. Where are you going to spend eternity? And the second question, for those of us that have answered the first question well, is what have you done? with all that God's entrusted to you, whether you think it's a lot or a little once you've accepted Christ. I want to pray. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, please. Father, as we come before you this morning um, with this incredibly um, difficult idea that we know is true, we're humbled that you would give us an opportunity to spend eternity with God. And we're going to embrace that. If you're here today and maybe you've never leaned in to receive Jesus as your Lord, I'm just going to encourage you to take that step today. 
Maybe you're here today and things have happened or you've just drifted and you're not really in a relationship with the Lord right now. Uh, I would I would urge you to come home to this God who is for enter into the joy of your master. Or if you feel unsure about where you stand, I want to pray with you today. Nobody's looking around. We're just praying together. But if you say, Pastor, I, I, I need to make that move to embrace Jesus, or I know I need to come back. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be. Or you just say, I'm not, I don't feel confident. Would you pray with me? I want you to lift your hand right now and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? It, no question. I want every person to leave this room with a sense of, I am right with God. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Just open your heart to Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, anybody else? Just in this moment, the most important decision ever is in this moment. And I'm urging him and encouraging you to step into it. Thank you. Anybody else? Let's pray this prayer together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your love, for your sacrifice, for your lordship. I embrace you in my life as my Lord. I know I've sinned, but I'm coming to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a new beginning, a fresh start as I receive Jesus as my Lord. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Amen.